Welcome to the Enjoying the Bible podcast. I'm Matt Ellis, and it's my desire to help you grow in your knowledge of God's Word so that you can believe it and live it. This podcast uh, comes from the session that I taught on uh, Sunday evening, January the 29th. Uh, Again, what I'm doing on Sunday nights at the church I pastor at First Baptist Church in Polk City What I'm doing is I have encouraged them, and many of them have joined the journey of reading through their Bibles from front to back, um, from January 1 all the way to December 31st. So by the time we get to the end of this year, they will have read through their Bibles. But one of the things that I wanted to do to kind of help them um, is to make Sunday nights all about what they read the previous week. And so I think that I kind of hit my stride Uh, on this podcast, the one that I taught on uh, January the 29th. I didn't summarize at all, um, and people were sending some great questions. And so there won't be much lag time, you know, much um, dead space in this podcast. I think there was at the very end, um, at the very end of this podcast, at the very end of the lesson, there was someone who made a comment, and it was a little bit lengthy, but it was important. Um, but I don't think you can hear it. Um, so anyway, I'm, I'm going to have to think about how it is that I do that because I don't want to wear on your patience as you're listening to this if you're just hearing dead space. Um, so anyway, just wanted to let you know about that. Uh, without further ado, let's get started. Okay, so it's good to see you here this evening. How many of y'all are enjoying your read through the Bible plan? Every, you know, are you reading through that? And okay, um, I just want to let you know uh, that uh, what we're doing on Sunday nights, what I did the first Sunday night, is uh, something that I am not going to do again. Because what I again, what I did is I I hit a, you know I tried to summarize every single chapter and then deal with all of the the big questions that I saw in each chapter, and uh, that was. Oh, that was painful. That was painful for me. I know it was painful for y'all because basically I was saying, open your mouth, here's a fire hydrant, swallow. And uh, so it was all true as far as I know uh, as I was honoring God's word and I'd studied it. But, uh, but that's not the way we learn stuff. So what we did this last time is uh, I did not summarize it because I assume if you've read God's word, if you've read these chapters, you, you know what they say. I don't have to summarize it for you. But um, what we may struggle with a little bit is the fact that within those chapters, there's some questions, there's some things that we may not understand. Or, you know, maybe some of you understand, but you're thinking, okay, I think the average person does not understand this, so I'm going to shoot this to Pastor Matt. So uh, this week, I've had, this past week, I've had uh, a few people that uh, it looks as if, you know, they've got their phones handy, and so whenever they're reading, they'll text me and say, hey, what does this passage mean? And so that's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to make our way through, uh, not even looking at every chapter, because I didn't get... um, questions on every chapter but i just want to encourage you to not just read through your bible if you've got a question as you read through there um, even if you've got the ability to dig into a resource to get that answer for yourself 
well, maybe other people don't have that. And so just send that question to me, you know, let, let me know. And then I'll kind of look through the list of questions and uh, prioritize it for Sunday nights. So, and yes, if you uh, read about that awkward passage about uh, Moses and Zipporah and their little poor little son, that made the list. Two people actually uh, asked me about that. So we'll be talking about that one in just a second. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you, thank you, thank you that you have given to us this, your word. Uh, Father, we thank you that you, through your Holy Spirit, uh, spoke this word, spoke your Bible, the scriptures, um, through men who wrote this down, but yet they were moved by your Holy Spirit. Now we can pick this book up and we can listen to you speak to us as we read your word. This is not a dead book, it's a living book. Um, Father, there's so many people who profess to be Christians that don't read their Bibles, and if in many people that do read their Bibles aren't studying their Bibles, so it really doesn't connect. They know about sports, they know about the weather, they know about politics, they know about everything else, but they really don't know much about your word. Lord, I pray that that is certainly not true of this group here, that, that we are hungry and we want to know what your word has to say. So Lord, I pray that um, that as we look at uh, some questions, Lord, I, I pray ultimately this wouldn't be about satisfying or curiosity, but that this would help us as we looked at this morning to develop a more biblical mind that knows truth uh, so that we're able out of a mind that is being transformed by the renewing of the word, that we're able to act in ways and think in ways uh, that are in accordance to things that would please you. Father, we thank you again for this time. Bless it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so, so what I'm going to do is uh, the chapters that we were responsible for, that if you're following the reading plan, and how many of you uh, want a reading plan that ha do not have it? Any anybody in here? I think pretty much everybody's got it, but I know we've got at least one or two left, and I can order more. Anybody need a reading plan that we are using? Okay, good. Uh, so the, uh, this past week, we would have gone through Genesis 47 through Exodus 12 today, and then Matthew chapter 15 through Matthew chapter 19 today. So what I want to do is, uh, of course, you know, I'm partial to the New Testament, so we're going to start in the New Testament. So go on and turn in your Bibles if, if you would like to. You have, in fact, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. Um, we read Matthew 15. I didn't have any questions on Matthew 15, but I did have a question from Matthew 16. And this is a question that I've heard multiple times, multiple times. And it's this. Explain Matthew chapter 16, verse 28. So listen to what, what, what Jesus said. Matthew chapter 16, verse 28. Truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his glory and so Jesus here says there are some standing here who will not die before you see the son of man and who's the son of man it's his favorite title for himself he is the son of man that was referenced in the old testament he said there are some of you who will not die before you see the son of man coming in his glory and so there are many Christians that look at this and they think, okay, coming in his glory. So I guess that's talking about the rapture. So this has been like 2,000 years ago. So how are we to understand Matthew chapter 16, verse 28? Once again, read it, and then I'm going to show you the answer. 
Jesus said, truly I tell you, there are some standing here. So he was talking to a crowd. He said, some of you here in this crowd, you're not going to taste death. You're not going to die until you see me, the Son of Man, coming in his kingdom, coming in his kingdom. So when was that answered? What was that? Exactly. Peter, James, and John in the transfiguration, the very next verse. Matthew chapter 17. Now remember that when we're reading Scripture, that uh, the Holy Spirit wrote through, in this case, Matthew, the tax collector. You know, someone that had been saved. He was a follower of Jesus. God's Holy Spirit filled him. But then in a very special way, God's Holy Spirit enabled Matthew to write these things down. But Matthew did not write, and the Holy Spirit did not inspire the chapters and verses. Those came along much later. Those are not part of inspired scripture. They're just things that were added later on to help us find things. Because otherwise, if you can imagine having the Gospel of Matthew without chapters and verses, I would have to say, okay, you know, basically open Matthew up about halfway and then scoop back a little to the left and just try to just, it would be hard to find these places. But it's really easy when I say turn to Matthew 16, 28. So just remember that these chapters and verses were not in the original inspired text. So even though it seems like there's a break between chapter 16 and 17, there's really no break. Jesus said, some of you will see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom before you die. The very next verse, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and his brother John and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And many people think that is Mount Hermon. If you wanted to, you know, investigate and look that up, it's up in the northern part of Israel. And in fact, did you know that in Israel, they ski? I'm not talking about water ski. They snow ski on Mount Hermon. It is so high up that they actually have snowfall there on Mount Hermon. That, I believe, that many people believe is the high mountain. He went up on the high mountain by themselves, Peter, James, and John, and uh, Jesus. And he was what? Transfigured in front of them, and his face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as the light. So what's going on here? Jesus is fully God, and Jesus is fully man right? Just as much God as if he were not man, just as much man as if he were not God. He is fully both. But he lived his life as fully man. But when he was here, his deity radiated from himself. His glory radiated from himself. The book of Revelation says that we're not going to need a sun and a moon in on the new earth there with the new Jerusalem coming down. Why? Because God himself is going to be the light. That's what we see here. It's Jesus' deity radiating out, demonstrating his ultimate final expression of his kingship, not just here on earth, but one day on the new earth. So that's what's going on. Uh, Jesus said, some of you are not going to taste death until you see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. He was referring to Peter, James, and John. You don't know it yet, but y'all are going to be coming with me. You're going to see my deity radiate out in the glory of the Lord, right? So that's Matthew 16, 28. Does it make sense? Oh, first time Moses got to be in the promised land. That's right. That's, uh, that's good. That's good. Let's, uh, let's look at that for a little bit. Let's kind of camp out in Matthew 17 because there was a question that said, how was John the Baptist Elijah? 
Did you read that? You, you, you read that in the text? You know, Jesus said Elijah is supposed to come. You, you read about that. Actually, the disciples said that. And uh, then he said he was John the Baptist. So listen to this. Um, Matthew chapter 17, verse 10. So the disciples asked him, now, this is after he's transfigured. Peter, James, and John, they have seen Moses and who was on the mountain as well? Elijah. Why those two? I think because Moses represented the law. Elijah represented the prophets. The Old Testament is often called the law and the prophets. And so the Old Testament showed up to validate Jesus as the approved son of God. And so the disciples, after they came down, Moses and Elijah are gone. The disciples came down. The disciples, in verse 10, asked him, why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? So they're saying, wait a second. We saw Elijah up there. We, we know that was Elijah, but the scribes are saying that he's got to come before the Son of Man, before the Messiah comes. We believe you're the Messiah, so why didn't Elijah come before you, Right? Okay, so they are referring back to, I'm not going to dig into all this. If you're taking notes, you can just write down Malachi chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. It wasn't that just the scribes said that Elijah would come before the Messiah. Malachi, as he was moved by the prophets, the prophet, as he was moved by the Holy Spirit, the prophet Malachi, in Malachi chapter 4, verses 4 and 6, said that Elijah was going to come before the great and terrible day of the Lord. And so that's what the scribes were saying is that before the great and terrible day of the Lord, Elijah's going to come. And so they were saying, why didn't Elijah come before you showed up? You know, he showed during your ministry, but why wasn't he here before? Listen to Matthew chapter 17, verse 11. Jesus said, Elijah is coming and will restore everything. Okay, so what I take verse 11 to mean is that there is yet a future time that Elijah is going to come. I personally believe, I could be wrong, I personally believe that the two witnesses in Revelation are Moses and Elijah. I could be wrong, Moses and Elijah. And uh, so I think that Elijah is going to come, and if that's true, that would be before the great and awesome day of the Lord, right? The, in the day of God's wrath. But listen, Jesus didn't finish there. Look at verse 12. But I tell you, Elijah has already come. And they didn't recognize him. On the contrary, they did whatever they pleased to him. In the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he had spoken to them about who? John the Baptist. So, a couple of things that we need to make clear. Jesus was saying that Elijah has come. Was John literally Elijah was because Elijah didn't die is this John the Baptist is he really Elijah well according to the John chapter 2 I think when they said who are you are you the Messiah he said no he said are you Elijah no are you that prophet no so John the Baptist said I'm not Elijah I think it's in John chapter 2 so John the Baptist was not literally Elijah he was air quotes Elijah he came in the spirit and the power of Elijah, just as Elijah was a man that was out in the wilderness, and he was just a rugged man's man, you know, camel hair and eating locust and wild honey and not afraid to tell people the truth regardless of the consequences. That's what John the Baptist exactly was like. He came in the spirit of Elijah. 
And uh, so that's what I take that to mean as I look at Jesus' words and listen to some of the other texts, is that John the Baptist was not Elijah, but when we listen to Jesus' words, um, he came in the spirit of Elijah. He was just like that greatest of the Old Testament prophets, the prophet Elijah. That makes sense? John chapter 1. Okay, so they asked him in John 1, are you Elijah? And he said, no. Yeah. Um, but I do. I, I, I tend to believe that Elijah is going to be one of those two witnesses um, in Revelation. Any questions regarding your reading in Matthew? Anything? Any questions at all? Did you write anything down? Did you have anything you were going to bring with you in the Matthew text? Okay. Let's go back to Genesis then. Let's go back to Genesis. And these are some interesting questions. Uh, Genesis chapter, now, uh, um, and uh, Linda actually pointed this out, uh, Linda Jackson. I never even noticed this until she mentioned it. I, I was thought, wow, that's perceptive. But she said, why is the name Jacob and Israel changed when used in different places? So this is what she meant by that. When Abraham was born, he was not called Abraham. He was called who? Abram. But he was given the name Abraham. And from pretty much that point on, I'm not aware of any instance where he was ever called Abram again. It was always Abraham from that point on. Why did God change names? Why do you think God changed their names? Okay, has to do with the covenant. Absolutely, God gave him the covenant in Genesis 12 and 15 and 17 and a few other places. And so God was, was doing that at the covenant. Why else? Why do you think? Hmm? They had a calling, okay. Hmm? Ownership. See, I think that's a big one. If I bring a dog home, let's just say I bring a puppy home. And uh, our next-door neighbor comes over. Nice guy. Lives right across the street from us. Next-door neighbor. Think the world of him. But let's just say he comes over and he says, you know what? I'm going to name your dog. What do you think my response would be? He doesn't, he doesn't belong to you. You don't have a right to name him, right? And so naming does show ownership. So when God said, okay, I'm going to change your name to Abraham, it's because you belong to me. You're mine. Uh, Sarah, what was her name before her name got changed? Sarai, exactly. God demonstrated ownership over her. Now, what was their son's name? Isaac. He is the only of the patriarchs of the, 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 you know, the three, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the only of the three that did not have a name change. It's an interesting thing. You know, we can... Hmm? Exactly, exactly. Isak, which means laughter, uh, but, uh, but there was no name change. Exactly, God gave him the name at the beginning, but he is the only one where there was no name change in the middle. Uh, so God did, you're right, God gave a name at the beginning, what he was to be named. Jacob, so now we come to Linda's question. Um, Jacob, what was his name changed to? Israel. Now, do you know what Jacob means? Deceiver. Uh, he who grabs the heel or heel grabber, trickster, 
you know I mean whenever you know he was being born he was grabbing his brother's heel and that was like a, an idiom a heel grabber as to someone who was looking for the upper hand constantly trying to manipulate circumstances to get the upper hand that's what Jacob meant conniver Man, that's a bad name, isn't it? Hey, conniver, come to breakfast. <laughs> uh, that's, that's horrible. So what does Israel mean? God contends or God fights. And he got that name when he was wrestling with the Lord. And the Lord, could he have broken free from Jacob's grasp? Of course he could. That showed me that there are times when God loves it when we wrestle with him. For us, wrestling in prayer. God loves it. But, I, but Jacob said, I will not let you go until you bless me. And so then he got the name change. From this point on, it's Israel. But Linda noticed, aha, unlike Abraham and unlike Sarah, when we get to Jacob, he gets the name Israel, but then all depending, you know, on the text, it, the names are, he still keeps getting called Jacob every now and then. And in fact, if you go to, and you don't have to turn there, you can write it down, Psalm chapter 53, verse 6, this is a long time after Jacob, Israel, has died. Listen to the psalmist in Psalm 53, verse 6. Oh, that Israel's deliverance would come from Zion. When God restores the fortunes of his people, let Jacob rejoice, let Israel be glad. That's one of the things about how the Hebrews loved to write. Maybe they still do it this way, I'm not sure. But if you read the Psalms, you see this. They love to restate things. You know, that this is what I'm saying, now what I'm saying is this. And so they restate it. And so Jacob, restate Israel. Some say that the reason for the, the every now and then continuing to use the name Jacob is because that was his flesh kind of showing up. That's when he was, you know, stumbling away. I tend to not believe that because oftentimes you see, like in Psalm 53, they're together, you know? So is he in stumbling in sin or is he not stumbling in sin? I'm just going to tell you, I don't know. <laughs> yes? Sometimes it refers to the nation. In fact, when you... Exactly. One of the things that I did here recently is as, I'm re as I was reading through Exodus, I just did a word search on Israel. And sometimes when Israel is used, it's referring to the guy. Sometimes it's clearly referring to the nation. There's a couple of times where I'm not sure, you know. Um, but I, even then, I don't know that, that every time we see Israel, that it is, that it is either the new... I'm just telling you that as I've looked at this, as I've looked at the instances, I've tried to, to try to discover, okay, why is this the case? I don't know that the Bible definitively gives us the reason why periodically he's called Jacob, sometimes called Israel, even after he gets the name change. Mm -hmm. Exactly. It's always Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's right. That's right. Exactly, yes. But both of those names are Hebrew, uh, Jacob and, and uh, Israel. Um, so I'm just telling you that there are some things where we can get answers and then others, it's 
just not as clear. We can come to our suspicion of why things are, but to my, in, in my opinion, as I look at this, I can't come to a conviction on why, you know, the names are used differently, you know, sometimes even next door to each other, because I really don't know that the Bible makes it clear why that has taken place. So every now and then you need to hear me say, I don't know, and this is one of those cases. <laughs> Okay, so another question came up is why did Jacob bless Pharaoh? That was, that, you, you read that, right? That was pretty cool. I mean, here's the, the major power, the guy who has the title Pharaoh, and uh, he is the leader essentially of the world. There is no other world power like Egypt, and he's at the top of the food chain. And here you have uh, Israel. Uh, who comes or Jacob who comes and one of the things that I've you've probably noticed this about him you probably noticed this about him as you were reading through Genesis is he was kind of negative you ever notice that about Jacob as he grew older he was you know I mean Pharaoh I think Pharaoh asked him you know how are you and how old are you and he said something to the I mean it's like the twist that he gave was you know not I haven't ascended to the years of my father and all of my years have been miserable or something like that it's like come on man you know you're right in front of Pharaoh don't blow it but then you have this guy who seems as if the weight of the world and maybe maybe it could have been his favorite wife and he did have the two and then he had the concubines god did not approve of that but that's the way that it played out but his favorite was rachel you know and she died early in childbirth giving birth to benjamin and then his favorite son which is not the bible does not advocate this it just tells us like it is if you want to stir up family trouble play favorites right if you want to if you want to mess kids up and their families play favorites bible doesn't advocate it it just says this is what happened but his favorite son joseph for all he knew was dead he, he had died eaten by wild beasts and so i would say at least those two things if not more things it's again it's not what happens to us it's how we think about what happens to us and it seemed as if he got bitter you know, he got depressed and discouraged and was content to be so. But this man who acts this way, and in fact, you know, he's, uh, you know, he gets to the land of Egypt and he said, now I can, you know, now I can die and go to the place of my fathers or whatever it was. And he lives like 14 more years after that, you know? <clears throat> anyway, and he blesses Pharaoh. So what's going on? Listen to Genesis 47, verses 7 through 10. Joseph then brought, so Joseph is second in command of all of Egypt. Joseph then brought his father, he calls him Jacob. And the writer, Moses, as he's writing this, doesn't call him Israel, calls him Jacob, and presented him to Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. It's not that Pharaoh blessed Jacob, Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, how many years, oh here it is, how many years have you lived? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, my pilgrimage has lasted 130 years, my years have been few and hard, and they've not reached the years of my ancestors during their pilgrimages. His life's been so hard. So Jacob blessed Pharaoh, Jacob blessed Pharaoh, and departed from Pharaoh's presence. So what's going on there? What's going on there? The word bless doesn't necessarily have to be some big fancy thing it's just an approval and an affirmation you know it's what the dads did to their kids they gave them the blessing 
it was just an affirmation of them and so I believe that what's going on in this text is Jacob is blessing Pharaoh I believe in Jacob's heart he's thinking I thought my son was dead I've thought my son has been dead for years and here I'm standing beside this guy that makes me feel incredibly important with all of his regalia and all of his the way he carries himself and this is my son and you are the one who gave him this position. I think he felt gratitude to Pharaoh. But it wasn't just that. There was a famine and they were dying. People were dying of starvation. And Pharaoh said, hey, yeah, Joseph, I like your idea. Go on and have all of your family come and, and have them stay in where the Nile, you know, the, the Nile, Nile Delta, where it's all lush and green. Tell, you know, they can be in the land of Goshen where they can just enjoy having all of their flocks and everything there. And I think Jacob just felt a sense of gratitude. And so I think what it meant to bless is if nothing else, it was just saying, May God bless you for what you have done to my, for my son and what you are doing for my family. You know, it may have been more than that, but I think it was at least that. I think that's what the blessing looked like. It was thank you and may God bless you for what you have done for my son and for my family. Right? Any, any comments or questions on that? And if I'm not mistaken, I think Joseph ascended to his position, I think at the age of 30. And then the seven years of plenty, so he's then 37 at the, the beginning of the famine. And now the famine has been going on for a few years. And so it's been a long time since he's seen his son, a couple of decades. And uh, yeah, I think it's just out of gratitude. Thank you. Now, you're a pagan, but thank you. <laughs> Huh? Yeah, yeah. Yes. That's right. Yeah. Yep. Gratitude, gratitude. April. It could have been merely a greeting. I mean, it, it could have been. It could have been. I, I tend to think that if it was just a greeting, then I don't know that it would have been mentioned, but it, it, it certainly could have been. It certainly could have been merely a greeting. It was. That's what April mentioned. It does show up twice. It shows up twice. Yeah. Okay, so let's go to Exodus 3. Uh, someone asked... And I was a little unclear about the question, but uh, you know, I'm answering the question that I think was asked, and it's in regard to the angel from heaven. The angel from heaven. Um, look at Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. 
said, Meanwhile, Moses was shepherding the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. Okay? Okay, so I just, I just want to tell you this. Um, the... I don't ever want to make a big deal of this, but I, you know, if, if I think something has been wrong, I like just throwing something out and giving somebody, people something to think about. And it's the location of Mount Sinai. I, I think it has been, I think it's mis mislabeled. I don't think it's where they think it is. You know, you, you've seen in your Bibles where it's like the, the V shape, you know, you've got Egypt over here and then the V shape and then, you know, uh, Israel and Saudi Arabia and they say Mount Sinai is right there. I don't think it is. I, I, don't, I really don't think that it is. Um, one of the things that, uh, that I see is not only in this text, but also something else. If you look at Galatians chapter 3, I think it's Galatians chapter 3. If you were just to do a, a, a name search in Galatians, uh, Paul is referring to Hagar, which represents the law. He said Hagar represents Mount Sinai in Arabia. He actually says that in Galatians. Hagar represents Mount Sinai in Arabia. This V was never called Arabia. That was an extension of Egypt. It was never called Arabia. What was Arabia back then? Well, it's what's called Saudi Arabia now. And if you look at this, where it says that Moses, in Exodus 3, Moses was shepherding the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. If you look in your Bibles, in your maps at the back, if it shows you where Midian is, Midian is in northwest current-day Saudi Arabia. And it's actually, I believe, in Midian where Mount Sinai is. And in fact, there are some that say that they think they know where that is. They think they know which mountain that is. So anyway, I just wanted to throw that out there. Meanwhile, Moses was shepherding the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. So Midian, we know, is in northwest Saudi Arabia, current-day Saudi Arabia. He led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God, the mountain of God. So just remember that Horeb and Sinai are the same. It's just two names for the same mountain. Came to Horeb, the mountain of God, Verse 2, I think this is what the question was, uh, was in regard to, the angel of the Lord. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire within a bush. So the angel, the angel of the Lord, appeared to Moses in a flame of fire within a bush. Now, when we think of the burning bush, who do we associate that with? Who is in that bush? God is but yet here it says the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire within a bush as Moses looked he saw that the bush was on fire but was not consumed so Moses thought I must go over and look at this remarkable sight why isn't the bush burning up and when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look God called out to him from the bush God called out to him from the bush so it says the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the bush, and it says God called to him from out of the bush. Moses, Moses. Okay. Um, is Jesus an angel? No, 
Absolutely not. There, I, I believe Jehovah's Witness, I believe they think that Jesus is an angel. Michael the archangel, I think, is, is uh, what they think that he is. He is not Michael the archangel. Jesus is not an angel. As we think, when we think of angels, he is not an angel. Angels were created beings. Jesus has always co-eternally existed as God the Son. Jesus is one of the three in the Trinity, one God manifested in three persons. Jesus, the second person of the Godhead, has always existed, never was created. He is not an angel with wings. But when you look at the Greek word in the New Testament for angel, it can mean angel, you know, that flies around with the wings, or it can mean messenger. And so you have to look at the context to determine, okay, are we talking about an angel with wings or are we just talking about a messenger, an angelos? That's the Greek word. In the Old Testament, it's the same word. I mean, it's, it's a different word, but it's the, same, it's the same thing. The Hebrew word is malach, malach. And it can mean angel with wings or it can mean messenger. And so you have to look at the context to determine, okay, are we talking about an angel or are we talking about a messenger? I think that oftentimes the translators, the English translators, don't accurately translate this. I, I don't know if they don't see what's in the text or what, but in verse 2 it says, the angel of the Lord was in the bush, and in verse it says the Lord uh, actually uh, it is um, yeah it's verse 4 that the Lord calls out from the bush so who is the messenger of the Lord I believe that it's Jesus capital A in your Bible okay so they did they did acknowledge that but I still think it confuses things for an English audience when you're calling the pre-Bethlehem Jesus an angel, even with a capital A. I, I just don't think that's helpful because he's not an angel. He's a messenger. But, uh, but I'm just telling you, especially in Genesis, I think it shows up like five times, maybe six times, especially in the book of Genesis, that it says, the angel of the Lord. And then when you listen to the messenger of the Lord talking, clearly he's God. Clearly he's Jesus, God the Son. Um, you, uh, you know, you've got all sorts of instances. And in fact, I mean, we're going to see this when we get to Joshua, when Joshua is uh, about to go over to Jericho and he meets the commander of the Lord's army. Well, you'd listen to this commander of the Lord's army. He's claiming deity. That's Jesus. Anytime in the Old Testament you see God with skin on, it's, it's what theologians called a pre-incarnate Jesus. We do agree Jesus did not come into existence in Bethlehem. He has always existed. In fact, when we read Genesis chapter 1, when it says, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. Well, we hear that there's the, the Spirit. We see that the Spirit is, is hovering over the water, and we see God speaking, and we're wondering, where is Jesus? Well, when you get to the book of Colossians, or actually, when you get to John chapter 1, without him, the Word, nothing was made that was made. He was the one that did it all. Jesus was the one that did it all. And so I'm telling you, look for Jesus in the Old Testament. When Jesus, and I'm going to get back to this, uh, but when Jesus at the end of the Gospel of Luke, uh, okay, that, that, well, I'm, I'm kind of thinking, okay, I don't think it's when he was talking to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. But, but 
yes it was yes it was when he was on the road to Emmaus the day he rose from the dead he caught up to these disciples and they talked as they were making their way and it says and he began with Moses and all the prophets to explain to them all of the things concerning himself right man I would have loved to have been there Jesus took the Old Testament and said okay that points to Jesus that points to the Messiah that points to the Messiah I'm telling you Jesus is all over the Old Testament all over the Old Testament um, and so I believe that uh, when we hear God speaking out of the bush we are listening to God the Son speaking out of the bush because this is the messenger of the Lord Jesus is God's sent one to earth to be the one that makes God the Father known to us Yes, absolutely. Did Jesus, have, for those of you online, did Jesus have a body? Okay. You know, if you were to go back to, uh, is it Genesis 15, I think, or Genesis 17? I can't remember which one it was. When it says that Abraham was sitting under the tent, you know, in the heat of the day on the plains of Mamre, and he looks out and he sees three people coming toward himself, three guys, three men coming toward himself. Well, if you follow, if you read that passage, there's one that takes over. He's, the other two aren't even talking. It's just the one. You get to the end of that chapter, he's saying, okay, Lord, would you spare the city for 50? Would you spare it for 45? Lord, please. Clearly, he recognizes he's talking to the Lord. He's talking to, to, to God with a body. Who's that? I think it's Jesus. Who are the other two guys? All you got to do is go to the very first verse of the next chapter, and the two angels went into Sodom and Gomorrah. It's the angels. And so Jesus was with those two angels. Jesus, yes, regularly was taking on a body in the Old Testament. I mean, even then, uh, when you have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thrown into the, fire, the furnace of fire, and they said, hey, didn't we throw three in? But it, where's this fourth one? He looks like he's a son of God, or maybe he would have said son of the gods, but we know that's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's God with skin on. Yeah, Jesus and God's message of redemption is illustrated all the way through. Yes, good. Yes. It very well could have been. Very well could have been. Um, the Bible says no one has ever seen God. Um, he who has seen me, Jesus said, has seen the Father. And so if we are looking for a physical manifestation of the Father and we see something, it's Jesus. Uh, I'm not convinced in heaven we're going to see the Father. We're going to see evidence. We're going to see the radiant glory. We're going to experience the Father. But as far as him being in a locale, I think the greatest thing, that, uh, what we will, I think what Scripture says is it speaks of the radiance that is there at the throne. But I'm telling you, if you see a body, you're looking at Jesus. He's who makes the Father known to us. He's who makes the Father known to us. Yeah. right 
Yep. Um, all of the fullness of deity dwelt in Jesus. All of it. He is fully God. He's who makes God the Father known to us. There are certain things that we can know about God. It's like in our theology class, for those of you that show up on Thursday nights, we've been talking about whenever we look at those theological truths that have to do with who God is or what God does, we can know to a certain extent, but beyond that, mm -mm, no, I, I don't know. I just got to take it in faith that the Bible says what it says, and I believe what the Bible says, but I don't understand it. Because when we're talking about who God is or what God does, it goes to an extent, and then beyond that, we just can't comprehend it. And uh, I believe this is also true regarding the presence of God and, and how that all plays out. But the Scripture does tell us that Jesus is the one who makes God the Father known to us. You want to know the Father? Get to know the Son. Yes. Mm -hmm. One of the things about theologians, uh, one of the things that theologians have debated for eons of years is what the Trinity meant when they said, let us make man in our image. The only thing we can definitively say that meant is that we were giving ownership. Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them rule. So clearly what it means to be in the image of God is that we take stewardship and ownership and watch care over what is under us. And beyond that, theologians have never really fully agreed on what all that means, but it most certainly means that, uh, you know, we take care of what is under us. We take care of what we have been made a steward of. Yes, okay, well, I thought I could take enough time where I wouldn't get to this, but uh, let's go on and look at Exodus 4. <laughs> Let's look at Exodus 4. Um, somebody asked, why was the Lord going to kill Moses? Someone else asked, um, what's the significance of Zipporah's action of circumcising her son, you know, and then throwing the, the foreskin there? I'm just using the language of the text. They're at Moses' feet, you know. Why was the Lord wanting to kill Moses? Why was Zipporah acting the way that she did? Why did she do this? Well, let's look at, uh, just briefly, Exodus 4, 24, and this will be the last thing we look at this evening. Exodus 4, 24 through 26. On the trip, uh, as they're making their way to Egypt, on the trip, at an overnight campsite, it happened that the Lord confronted him, that's Moses, and intended to put him to death. <laughs> it's like, wait a second. God told Moses he's been preparing him for 40 years there in the wilderness, humbling him, getting him to trust in him. God says, go, I, who made man's mouth? Now go, and you know, and so Moses is going, and now God's going to kill him. What's going on here? On the trip and an overnight campsite, it happened that the Lord confronted him and intended to put him to death. So Zipporah took a flint, cut off her son's foreskin and threw it at Moses' feet and said, you are a bridegroom of blood to me. This is not a pretty picture, but hey. So he let him alone. That's God let Moses alone. God said, okay, I was gonna kill you. Now I'm not. At that time, she said, you are a bridegroom of blood. 
referring to the circumcision. So what is going on there? Well, if you go to Genesis 17 and verses 10 through 14, Genesis 17 verses 10 through 14, that's where God initiated circumcision of the males, of the males. Um, and this was a sign that they were a part of the covenant. They were part of the, the family. They were part of the, the covenantal family. And so, um, in fact, the word was so strong that God said in Genesis 17, when he was talking to Abraham, verse 14, if any male is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that man will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. If you look at the phrase cut off from his people, that usually means death sentence, you know? It's usually what that means. It's a capital offense. God said if anyone if anyone in the, the, the Jewish family does not undergo this and bring themselves into covenantal relationship and demonstrate their covenantal relationship with me, then let them be cut off from Israel. So, God made it very clear with Abraham, the father of the Hebrew nation, that this was to be a practice and it demonstrated their faithfulness, their relationship with him. Okay? It's very important very important um and so moses now you know he's 40 years in egypt and uh you know did all sorts of things you know he learned the language he learned the culture he was highfalutin he thought he was everything he was just really getting along and just enjoying life and you know just felt so high and above the law that he even killed an egyptian when he saw that the egyptian was beating an israelite and then he found out the next day that it was found out and so he ran he was terrorized he took off and then for 40 years god said okay you think you're all that I can't use you until you realize that I'm all that. God said, I can't use you if you're full of yourself. I need you full of me. And so for 40 years, God was cultivating humility. And this whole thing of, Lord, I, I can't speak. You know, who am I to speak? You know, I think what was going on, um, I, I heard this from uh, someone, I, I can't remember who it was, someone had said that they had learned another language. I was talking to somebody this past week, said they had learned another language, and then they were away from that country for about, I think, 20 years, and it, they said it was difficult to, they knew the language, they had studied the language, they were fluent, but then they couldn't rem really remember the language. They had to get back into it, and they knew they were going to stumble over their words, because after 20 years, you forget a lot of the vocabulary. I think after 40 years, that's what Moses was saying, Lord, get somebody else. I forgot Egyptian. You know, I don't know how to do this. And uh, so anyway, he was going back to do what? To bring Abraham's descendants, the people of promise, the covenantal people, out of Egyptian bondage. And he didn't even bother to bring his son into the covenant. <laughs> you know? And God was saying, you lack integrity on every level. And it says in Genesis 17, when God was speaking to Abraham, if anyone does not, let him be cut off. So God said, I'm about to take somebody's life here. And Zipporah did the job. Now, what was her actions about? I think she found the whole practice appalling. Um... You know, bringing discomfort on her son and this whole thing. I think that's what was going on. But I do believe that that's why the Lord was about to take Moses' life is because maybe intentionally he, for, 
he, 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 he let that go and he didn't bring his son visibly in a physical way into the covenant and he was about to go bring God's covenantal people out it's hypocrisy it's lack of integrity and I think that's what was going on any other questions on that <laughs> I dare you any other questions oh we could do Exactly. And that's when you look at the qualifications of pastor and deacons in the New Testament in 1 Timothy chapter 3. In both of those qualifications, it says they need to be leaders at home. Uh, as Adrian Rogers, a former pastor of mine, used to say, if you're not doing it at home, don't export it. <laughs> you know, if you can't get your family to follow the faith, then what makes you think that you can lead a group of people that are not your family in pursuing holiness? And so, there was a lack of integrity. I think that's what's going on with Moses. Okay. All right, well, I hope this has been helpful. I just want to encourage you that as we go through this next week and read uh, these chapters, feel free to uh, shoot me a text or an email or give me a call, write it on a piece of paper, give it to me, just some way, write your questions down, and I'll try to go through... Uh, at least the ones that I perceive to be the, the big ones. And there are some that, that were really good that we just didn't have time to get to tonight um, so that we can do that next Sunday night. All right, any last questions or comments before we take off? All righty, well, let me lead us in prayer and we'll be dismissed. Lord Jesus, once again, we thank you for your word. Thank you that as we read it, we never have to fear that there's gonna be any inconsistencies. There's never gonna be anything that... Um, causes us to just try to figure out how this all fits together. In fact, Lord, it fits together beautifully, wonderfully. And Lord, I pray that as we read this, we would not read your word, our Bibles this year, in a way that is similar to how we read other books. Lord, I pray that we would read it with enthusiasm. I pray that we would read our Bibles with a desire to read and to study and to understand it and to listen to what you are saying to us as we're reading it. Lord, we want to develop healthy, biblical, truthful minds as we looked this morning. And Lord, if nothing else, it means that we are going to be in your word, getting your word into our mind and into our heart. So Lord, I pray this year that you would help us to take this seriously and then have some, hopefully some fun on Sunday nights as we look at some of the, the questions. Lord, I pray that as we leave this place that you would take us safely to our homes, help us to enjoy this week with you. And Lord, I pray that wherever we are, whether we're in a home or a grocery store or at work or school or wherever else, Lord, I pray that people would be able to tell that we have been with you. I pray that we would always desire to live in such a way that we reflect well on you and show others how good of a God it is that we serve. We do pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. And as I've said before, if you did, then consider leaving a uh, 
five-star rating, four-star if you think, but if you really go five, then that helps it to kind of rise to the top uh, whenever uh, people are looking for a podcast to listen to. And so if someone goes in and they're looking for something that helps them to learn more about scripture, something that gets them into God's word, then if you know enough of you are putting five stars, then it raises this to the top so that they're able to listen to this. Plus, it's not just the rating, it's also your comments. So if you've got some honest, positive comments about this podcast, uh, put them on wherever it is that you get this podcast just to help others be able to see if this is something they want to listen to. The Enjoying the Bible podcast is a ministry of the First Baptist Church in Polk City, Florida. We'll see you next time.